Hello and welcome to season two of Story Conversations. We made it. Susan, we did, we're here. We did. We're a little bit delayed in starting, but, uh, you know, we're here. Yeah, here we are. We're it's here. fantastic. And as usual, you've got me, Simon Arrowsmith, and with me is my partner in crime, Susan Griffin. Uh, Susan, why don't you tell us about, um, well, tell us a little bit about our guest. I, you know, I, I understand. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I understand that at the moment it's world series season or something this is why we're starting with our fantastic sports related guests what what is world series season as a brit uh, oh well uh yeah <laughs> it's got nothing to do with broadway look, so we're not really look, no it has nothing to do with broadway i mean world series is baseball american baseball um and you know there's a lot of people who seem quite wound up right now mm. uh, about this sport so we thought it would be apropos of the season to um start season two with our our guest today john chelesnik who Hmm. runs an organization called sportscaster talent agency of america and um for a very long period of time john has been essential in helping aspiring sportscasters to find jobs in radio and TV, providing on-air commentary, what's commonly called play-by-play for sports. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we thought the idea of how storytelling applies in conveying the excitement of all kinds of sports Hmm. when the audience is not necessarily in the stadium, but rather enjoying the game on the radio or on TV. And John Hmm. has got some really lovely, enthusiastic, and um, obviously very very experienced observations about the act of that kind of storytelling. So let's dive in. Yes. So, John, thank you so much for joining us today um, for Story Conversations. We like to start our uh, our chats with our guests by asking you to share a little bit about your origin story. Now, you are the CEO of Sportscasters Talent Agency of America, but if I look at your background, you... You, in, in in your young years, you were actually calling games on the radio for ESPN, and that infectious enthusiasm you have for the sportscasting business led you to create this marvelous resource for helping others realize their dreams in sports sportscasting. But, you know... In sports, we hear about the love of the game. When did yours start? When did you know that this was the story you wanted to tell? Well, when I was a kid, my grandmother gave me a little transistor radio, very similar to this, to one I have in my hand. You know, it's uh, eight inches tall, four inches wide, about the same size that my grandmother gave me. And... I used to love to just go up and down the dial and listen to all the different radio stations. And then when I got a bigger radio, I could pick up stations from far away and it was kind of like a time machine. And I could go to Salt Lake, I grew up in San Diego, but I could hear radio stations in Salt Lake City and Phoenix and San Francisco. And so it was like traveling to those places. Uh, Then I heard sports on the radio and I was already a sports fan, you know, my dad, uh, was an athlete in college and I had already started watching football, basketball and baseball, but it was hearing these things on the radio and hearing them from faraway places that really fueled my passion for sports casting. And then when I got to high school, what happened to me is what happens to 98% of people who are in sports casting. We realized we're not good enough to get paid to play so what's the next best way to get paid to go to games? <laughs> Sports casting. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess I guess for our audiences, uh, some of whom 
have looked at sports uh, on the radio or on TV, rather, some of whom got introduced to sports and their their favorite teams the way you did um, on the radio. What what exactly is paid to uh, um, play, play by, by play? play? Yeah, play by play. Um, and and the, how does this commentary differ? when it's on the radio versus on TV and how does it differ from what we call what we hear uh, is is described as color commentary in mm. sports okay so play by play is putting your listener inside the stadium or arena they really want to be at that game but they can't be so you need to provide a description of each play of the game so play by play by play you need to provide a detailed enough description so that your listener can paint that picture in their mind and transport themselves inside the stadium. The difference between radio and television play-by-play is the picture. In radio, you need to provide the picture with your words. In television, it's already there. So the job of the play-by-play broadcaster in television is simply to caption the pictures. So if, if what we're doing right now was radio, I, may, I might say uh, Simon Aerosmith looking dapper in a, a black T-shirt with <laughs> a, a well-trimmed beard well, and it's a, bit, it's a bit scraggly, but, you know, I'll give you that. <laughs> I, I'm going to call it well-trimmed. I've seen – look at Major League Baseball players for scraggly beards. <laughs> Yours is well-trimmed. And, then I, and I would say Susan Griffin, uh, beautiful long shoulder-length hair and, and glasses – uh, and like Simon, wearing a, a, a black blouse and a, and a pretty uh, necklace. That's radio. In television, all I need to say, Simon on the left, Susan on the right. Because they can, the audience can see mm. everything else. So that's the difference. And then the, uh, your final question was the difference between a play-by-play commentator and a color commentator. The play-by-play broadcaster is describing what happened. The color commentator or color analyst explains why it happened. So those are the differences. That's really interesting. And particularly, I think, from our point of view, in terms of storytelling, you know, a a lot of the clients that we work with focus very much on the what and not enough on the why. So it's really, really interesting. That that, that 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 about that different you know these are all forms of storytelling you're talking about in sports casting um they must draw on different skills can you tell us a little bit about the kinds of skills that they draw upon and the difference i guess between those skills in radio versus television mm-hmm. of course spontaneity is huge uh spontaneity and being able to come up with the right words Immediately, you have to have those words on the tip of your tongue and you have to do it for three hours. So focus is another thing. It can get mentally fatiguing uh, to stay sharp for a two and a half or three hour game. Vocabulary, of course, is another skill. Description, which is you guys know I'm preaching to the choir here, but that's a key to great storytelling is description. It's also a key to great play by play broadcasting. So those are uh, three of the primary skills uh, required. Uh, The skill set for radio and television is really those same things. And television is easier in the fact that you don't have to be as descriptive as in radio because like we said before, the picture is already given to the audience. You don't have to provide that. Yeah, Yeah, I'm... Go ahead, Simon. No, I'll just say it's really interesting that I think there's a temptation um, to perhaps overtell a story sometimes. And when you've already got the information in front of you, you want to tell a story that adds or use storytelling that adds to the viewer's experience rather than just, you know, um, telling them what they already they can already see. I think about it when, you know, I see people make presentations and they just read what's on the screen in front of them. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I can read it. I don't need you to tell me. I guess it's the same in sports. Sorry, well, Susan, yeah, there's, you there's, there's a rule in television. Well, I don't know if it's a rule, but yeah. um, don't tell your audience what they can already see. So I, I mentioned captioning the pictures. That's another way of phrasing the same thing. You don't need to tell me that 
the quarterback takes the snap from center, drops back, is pressured, rolls to his right, and now throws on the run. I see all that, again, on a, on a telecast. So you don't need to tell me that. You just need to say, you know, Smith, rolling right. Just caption the picture. Nice. Yeah. And, you know, as you say, I mean, spontaneity, focus. You know, when I think about play-to-play, I guess I look at it within the context of comparing it to something like simultaneous translation at the UN or or perhaps even um, improv theater. You know, it's totally different from different other kinds of storytelling. You don't know the outcome. You're literally conveying the story as it happens. You know, maybe can we think about good play-by-play sportscasters as performers, thinking on their feet? Um, It's got to be, as you say, exhausting, and it takes a special breed. And how do you spot the good ones? Well, you you hit on something. I actually got chills <laughs> when you uh, compared it to improv, and when you said that play-by-play broadcasters are performers. We have in uh, in our agency within our our roster uh, several play-by-play broadcasters who are also stand-up comedians uh and they are fabulous at the play-by-play end of it there used to be a sports center anchor at espn a sports anchor uh, named craig kilborn he was a comedian and in fact i think if i'm not mistaken ended up doing got out of sports casting and, and hosted a late night network tv talk show did comedy uh, so you hit it right on the head play-by-play is certainly a performance art and one of the ways you can spot well there's a lot of ways who the great ones are going to be first of all confidence you can't be a wallflower and broadcast to the masses so you can pick up somebody's confidence just in one-on-one conversation uh, there's a certain maturity that the great ones have or the ones who are going to be great uh, you can you can see that in a 22-year-old who has the maturity of somebody 10 years older. It's just, even if you can't necessarily put your finger on it, you know that it's there. So those are, are two things. And then, of course, we talked about things like description, focus. Inquisitiveness is big. People who, who don't assume they already know everything go farther. People who love to ask questions. Why is this? In fact, here's a story. Uh, there are, oh, I'm trying to think of where to start the story as I'm speaking. So we have uh, a job board and a discussion board on our website. And about 12 years ago now, there were two very active college students who were always posting questions and asking why and asking how. And one of them went to, I believe, Valparaiso University in Indiana. The other one went to uh, Beloit College in Wisconsin. Well, their names were Joe Davis and Adam Amin. Today, those two are two of the bigger names in sportscasting here in the United States. And they've only been out of college for maybe 10 years. They started posting these questions as sophomores. Uh, Joe has risen to the number one spot, the number one broadcaster on on the Fox network here in the States. Adam is excelling similarly, and both of them are maybe 31 years old now, but they were inquisitive, they were unusually mature, they were poised, they were confident. So you can see those things, and especially when you're seeing them in somebody who's at an age where those traits aren't usually so far developed, you can pick out that those folks are going to do well. And really, they'd probably do well in any mm-hmm. endeavor they chose, but certainly play-by-play. Yeah. That, that's fascinating. I, you know, I, I think about the notion of color commentary and the meaning of a particular play 
is often grounded in the backstory. Maybe the, the athlete was injured in a previous game and they're coming back in a way that was unanticipated that brings more meaning to the, the, the score. Mm-hmm. Um, so these inquisitive sportscasters are not only um, using that sort of improvisational skill of thinking on your feet, but being able to access the knowledge of who these athletes are, what's going on with this team, so they can they can bring meaning to whatever it is they're commenting on. Wow. So. You, this doesn't surprise me, so I'm going to respond to that. But first, I'm going to preface because this is a great time to do it. You just showed, Susan, the insightfulness, but also the preparation that you and Simon put in to each podcast that you guys do. I've told you, you know, off air, how impressive that is about the two of you, and it allows you to excel. So uh, I wanted to give you public kudos for that. Well, now, oh, the reason I you. bring all the, you're welcome, but the reason I bring all that up, because you just asked a very insightful question, and you're right. Play-by-play is a story. A lot of young sportscasters think of it as a narrative. We're just describing the action. Okay, that's great for fans of one of the two teams. But if you're trying to capture a broad audience, you have to turn that narrative into a story. And you do that through exactly what you just talked about, Susan, plots and subplots. Sometimes the plots are obvious. The home team's trying to win its fourth game in a row, or they're trying to defeat this rival for the first time in six years. And then you've got the subplots, which is where your preparation and your inquisitiveness that you just alluded to, Susan, that's where that comes in. Uh, And maybe it's somebody coming back from an injury or trying to rebound from a slump. Uh, The subplots will often unfold during the game. Uh, They could be that the, the home basketball team has not scored in the last six minutes or the football team hasn't scored on its last five possessions uh, or it could be that a star running back has 90 yards he's just 10 away from the his third straight 100 yard game so when you when you regularly revisit the plots and the subplots of your play-by-play broadcast just like an author does in a book or a newspaper writer does in a in a, in a column now you're making the broader audience care because now it's not just a narrative that only fans of the two teams are engaged in. Now it's a story that everybody can be engaged in, even if they don't have an emotional interest in either team. That's fascinating. It's interesting as well that, you know, we talked about the fact that this is like, the skill is like improvisation. Improv originally came from something called theater sports, and that, that's that's the origin of, of improv and improv also when when you talk about improvising when you learn I've, I've studied improv you talk about playing games you don't talk about theater or comedy you talk about gameplay and understanding the structure of a game the play of a game and playing at the top of your intelligence which is exactly what I think you're talking about Susan where you talk about you know a, a great sportscaster will will speak at the top of their intelligence. They bring all of that knowledge to bear, but they are literally living in the moment and speaking as 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 the game unfolds. Fascinating. Yeah, um, the parallels between sportscasting and improv are dramatic. In fact, I once heard uh, an improv comic who was on his way up talking about that skill. And it was interesting. He, he said, I don't know, even know how this probably doesn't tie to sports casting, but it came up in my mind when you said that. He said so many improv comics are, uh, they have some major emotional flaws, uh, <laughs> at least in his estimation. But they bring that to the stage and it helps them along. So again, not really related to sports casting, so I probably shouldn't have even mentioned the <laughs> tangent. But I thought of it because improv has become such a, a relevant yeah. part of this conversation. And I think, you know, these conversations go go wherever they need to go. I think, you know, we can't, we don't have to limit it. Um, you've, you've taught at, at college level and STAA not only helps play sports, sports casters, but you coach as well on the ways to do the job, uh, how to get better. You've got videos sharing tips online and you talk about, you know, how to call an effective play-by-play and you cover everything from tone of voice to um, best headsets 
that people can buy and mics to use. Um, there was something we saw that we really liked on your blog recently where you said moving up in sports casting is about consistently doing things your competition isn't willing to do. I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit more about that and, and specifically sort of what does that include, do you think? Man, that's just that's a life rule. And I'll make it I'll make it play by play specific. <laughs> but it is, it's a life rule. Everybody wants to be great until it comes time to do the work. And that's where people start falling by the wayside. So in play by play, it's things like reviewing your your broadcast. Joe Davis, who I mentioned earlier, uh, one of the reasons that he has gone so far so fast is that even when he was doing baseball, uh, which is a you know, daily sport, you're playing a game most every day, he would listen to the entirety of each one of his broadcasts before he went on the air for the next one. It's easy to do with football because it's once a week. A lot of people don't even review their football, though. Joe would do it for baseball, a daily sport. So that's an example of something that you're willing to do that your competition's not. Uh, I'll continue with Joe. Reaching out and to, to other sportscasters who he admired and asking, how do I do this? What's the best way for doing that? Why do you do it this way? I like that you do it this way. Why is it that you do it that way? Uh, so getting over the trepidation of, uh, I don't want to be a bother or I'm shy and reaching out. That's another example of things that people who go far are willing to do that their competition's not. It can be sacrifice. Uh, you know, Joe Davis and Adam Amin could have been out at the local bars with their buddies on Friday and Saturday nights and after classes. They weren't. They were home studying their craft, working on their craft. They were out broadcasting games, you know, doing high school games on a Friday night or small college games on a Saturday instead of doing the, the social activities that typical college students would. Uh, even now, I talk to a lot of adults broadcasters. They're playing video. Oh, I don't have time to. I'd really love to review my tape. I don't have time. Sure you do. You're playing video games for 90 minutes a day. Stop that. Or don't watch so much television at night. It's just about time, man. We all have 24 hours in a day, yet you've got people uh, you know, like Oprah Winfrey who do great things with their 24 hours, and then you've got other people who are struggling and they're not achieving their dreams because they don't spend their 24 hours wisely. So time management, you sacrifice, those are all examples of things that people who go far in any industry and certainly play by play do that their competition is not willing to. That's, that's amazing. And, you know, listeners listen up because you know that that's going to be one of our takeaways for you. But um, you know, I have to say, we were so excited about this conversation. I was telling friends and colleagues that we were having you on um, the podcast. And when the whenever I spoke about sportscasting, um, diehard sports fans that I knew said, oh, my God, the greats. You know, they're, and, and they, they talked to me about people like Vince Scully, who sadly passed away earlier in August. Um, you mentioned Joe and Adam. I think these are new greats, you know, emerging greats. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess what what made made people like Vince and you know, absent what you are, have already told us about Joe and Adam, what makes these on air voices greats? Oh, I love that question. Vince Scully says the best compliment he ever received came from a woman who approached him inside Dodger Stadium prior to a game. They both got there early. And he said, Mr. Scully, I've been listening to you broadcasting Dodger games for many years now. You've always been my favorite broadcaster, but it was only recently that I was able to figure out why. And Scully said, oh, what is that? And she said, because you make me feel like you're talking to me, like you're doing this broadcast for me. And Vince Scully said in his retelling of this encounter, that's the best compliment I ever received. So that's one of the biggest keys 
uh, one of the biggest, the greatest signatures of the best in our industry, they communicate not to the masses, but one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, you've even heard me, and I'm not trying to say I'm great in this podcast, it's silly, but you've heard me say, reference your listener, not your audience, and not your listeners, plural, your listener. And that goes back to what the greatest broadcasters do. They talk to one person at a time, not to hundreds of thousands. That's a that's one of the the, ba the biggest keys. Uh, preparation is another. Uh, letting your personality show through on the air, uh, not being too formal, not being pretentious. Uh, what made Vince Scully the best of all time was being well-read. And I don't just mean with sports, but with poetry, politics, history, current events. Vince Scully would be able to draw upon his depth and breadth of knowledge, and he would sprinkle it appropriately in, throughout his broadcasts. It was the most incredible thing, and he would uh, advocate publicly, regularly, be well-read. And that's a great tip in any industry. You know, Mark Cuban says, I, I've heard this from so many people who have achieved great heights in their respective fields. I'll use Cuban in this example. He reads for one hour every single day. That's such great advice for sportscasters and for anybody. You know, Cuban started out selling software, and this is his accounting of how his career started, selling software door to door. He said, I was selling the same software as all my competitors. However, he was willing to do what his competition was not. He read the manuals for the software, the dry, boring, tech-speak-filled manuals. So that when his customers had questions, he was able to answer them. So that's the value of reading is you can learn in five hours what it took the author five years to learn. And great broadcasters and sports broadcasters generally are pretty well read and have that kind of depth of, of knowledge. Nice. And yeah. speaking of the greats, you've spearheaded uh, an award program for uppercomers named after one of the greats, or at least a great. I, I'm told in the US, I don't, I don't know. Jim Nance is that how you pronounce his name? Yep, Jim Nance. Yeah, tell, right tell on, us one of the all-time best. Tell us a little bit about Jim and, and and his story, and then we'll talk about some of the recipients of the award. Well, Jim was very similar to Joe Davis in Adam Amin in that he went far fast. Uh, I don't he went to the University of Houston and in, as, if I'm not mistaken, his first job out of college was in Utah. Uh, maybe Salt Lake City would be logical. Uh, and that's a pretty darn big market for somebody right out of school. Then CBS discovered him after he'd been in Salt Lake City for a relatively short time uh, as a television sports anchor. And, you know, the rest is history as far as that. But Jim's greatest trait, in my estimation, and it's a huge reason why I was hopeful that he would be amenable to using his name on our award, us using his name on the award, humility. He is so genuine and unpretentious and as likable off the air as he is on the air. For example, back in December, he was inducted into the National Sports Media Association Hall of Fame here in the States. His acceptance speech was nothing about him. Instead, the focus was on his family, his wife, his kids, his parents. Uh, he wrote a book, Always By My Side, about his relationship with his father, who uh, contracted Alzheimer's, um, but it was it was so moving. It was after I read that book, I thought, okay, this is who I'm hoping I wanted to be able to put his name on the award. And uh, you know, since then he's gone above and beyond, uh, not just having letting us use his name on the award, but contacting the award recipient, surprising him with a phone call. Uh, setting up a personal meeting when Jim is in their area, you know, for a broadcast, they'll get together, uh, sending copies of his book. He's done that to, uh, for, he's just been 
wonderful. So, uh, again, what makes a great play-by-play broadcaster? The best are great people. Mm-hmm. And that's why I went into a little bit more detail about Jim and reply to your question because he's an example of how you get to be great in sportscasting. And the latest recipient of the award is a woman. Do you think that's, I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit about her, but also do you think there is a sort of change in in the kinds of people that are coming into the profession, more people of color, more women? That's such a great question. Yes, uh, but they're, com- they're, they're advancing and they're entering and advancing at different rates. Uh, women... The, the door for women in sports casting started opening 15 years ago or so. And at first, it was, uh, it was a trickle. You know, the water, you didn't turn on the tap and the water all of a sudden started pouring out. It came out in trickles and then the stream got stronger. And now it, it took young women seeing uh, women accomplishing things, you know, going to the top in sports casting. There's a, there's a woman sportscaster named Beth Moens, play-by-play broadcaster, who's been doing it at ESPN and doing it exceptionally well now for at least a decade. Uh, and she's not the only one. But as a handful, a very small handful of women started reaching the top, well, that inspired masses of young, young girls uh, to say, gosh, I'm a sports fan too. I can do that. There's the path. She showed me the way. She showed me that it's possible. So now there's a lot more women. They're advancing a lot more uh, than people of color. Uh, and I don't know why, but I would. I'm. I guess there's no studies to back this up. But I think uh, black people are not advancing quite as quickly as some other ethnicities. The great news is that more uh, people of all races are starting to get into sports catch. I mean, they're, they're more at the level of the young girls that I referenced a moment ago, uh, specifically to play-by-play broadcasting. Uh, so I'm confident they're going to start moving up too. And just like employers have are now at a point where they want to hire a female play-by-play broadcaster, a female sportscaster, they're now also wanting to hire uh, broadcasters of of all ethnicities, you know, non-white, you know, people of color, which is a great thing. It's it, the progress has been slow, and it's we wish it was faster now, but at the same time, at least it's it's there now, and it's it's the momentum is gaining. So now that the ball is rolling, we can anticipate that the momentum is going to get faster. Uh, and one other thing, too, I, I love this topic, so I, I know it's a podcast and you can go on and on. I still feel like I'm being long-winded on this answer. But something that local television stations around the United States are doing, uh, they're now hiring sportscasters to reflect the makeup of their audience. So if yeah. uh, here in San Diego, for example, we have a lot of Hispanics uh, and Polynesians and Filipinos so the on-air talent being hired reflects that so that the people who make up the community can turn on the TV and see somebody who's like yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, and that's been a great thing to see in, in local television. It's been slower in play-by-play. The opportunities for sportscasters of color have been much greater and the growth has been faster and everything but play-by-play and sports talk show hosting. And I still believe it's not because the opportunities aren't there. Employers want to hire them. It's just because for whatever reason, especially with talk show hosting, not as many kids of ethnicity have grown up wanting to do that. Uh, I think they are now. So I think the future is, is uh, I have great optimism for the immediate future. I guess it partly relates to what you said before is you have to see yourself in those roles to to know that that's possible. I think about particularly about women in sports casting in the UK for example. Um you know, I grew up hearing women sports casters on women's sports. So, you know, on in Wimbledon, if it was a women's match, then you would have a women's sports caster. Now, women are commenting on 
all sports. You know, there's a very high profile women who who are at the front of the BBC's sports coverage of football, of everything in the UK. So I, I agree. I think you have to see that change or hear that change in order to um, know that you can become it, I guess. Can I share a, a story that will yeah. illustrate how far behind women, <clears throat> aspiring female sportscasters had to start here in the States? Back around... Uh, 1993, I worked at a big all-sports station in San Diego. We were just the third all-sports station in the country. We were huge. Uh, I had a signal that went all up and down the West Coast. And we had a woman named Jeannie Zelasco who was hosting the San Diego Chargers post-game show and taking calls. And Jeannie knew her stuff. Yet, I always remember one clown called in a guy and started quizzing Jeannie on Chargers history that was totally irrelevant to talking about the game that the Chargers had just finished 45 minutes prior. But he wanted to test Jeannie. So he kept throwing her all these fastballs and Jeannie kept hitting them out of the park. Bam, bam, bam. And I thought, way to go, Jeannie. Put this sucker in his place. (laughs) Jeannie ended up becoming a star on Fox Sports Television. And you would see her interviewing players and managers on the field at the end of the World Series and doing studio hosting for the National Baseball Broadcast Game of the Week. Jeannie was a star. But that was the kind of junk she had to put up Mm. with on her way up. And that's only one example that I saw. I'm certain there were countless other examples I have no idea about that Jeannie and other women have had to overcome to get where they are. Yeah. Um, there's, there's so many technological improvements that um, have, have an impact. I don't know if it's positive, negative, but I think about instant replay and, and you know all of these things, particularly in TV, where you're simultaneously looking at different sort of screen views. Um, even social media feeds like Twitter, are, do you see these impacting sportscasting? Oh, without a doubt. You have to be good at social media and content creation to even be a play-by-play broadcaster. It's no longer the case that when you get hired to do play-by-play, that that's all you're doing. If it's a full-time job, uh, if it's freelancing, it's different. But for a full-time job, you may get hired as a play-by-play broadcaster, but you have to constantly be engaging your audience throughout the week on social media. Adam Amin is great at, uh, excuse me, great at that. Uh, you know, he'll take videos of himself walking through an airport, say, hey, I just arrived in Houston, looking forward to the Texans game tomorrow. You'll uh, show his his broadcast setup. Hey, here's mm. what it looks like inside the booth. They'll take his his audience behind the scenes. This is what it's like being a sportscaster. Here's what the pregame meal, what all these kind of things. So yes, uh, social media and the ability to create content, to be able to shoot and edit video on your phone and immediately publish it to social media. Uh, those are all those are all important things. And I think what a lot of them are doing is what Kobe Bryant said. I. This Kobe Bryant, I have this quote from him in a place where I see it every day. He said when he retired, he wanted to inspire people through stories. And he ended up, of course, winning a Oscar for best film short uh, about his love for basketball. And he wrote children's books. He did all these other things because he wanted to inspire young people. But he also wanted to do it through storytelling. Because as you guys know, uh, you can tell somebody that something is fact. They're going to probably forget that. But if instead you tell them a story that illustrates the point you're trying to make, they're much more likely to remember the story. So Kobe Bryant, would his goal was to inspire through stories. And the sportscasters, the play-by-play broadcasters, who are the best, do that, not only on the air, 
but through social media channels and content creation as well. Yeah, I think nice. all of that combination is what creates a whole story, isn't it? It's great. Yep, 100%. It's all, again, especially with play-by-play, that's our mm. main topic here. It's not just telling a narrative, but it's telling a story. Because going back to childhood when our parents would read bedtime stories to us, we all love a story. And the great play-by-play broadcasters, I should have I should have included that in my answer when he asked what makes the greatest what they are, mm. they, they turn their broadcast into a story. They make people care. Wow. Um, we could go on with you for much longer, but um, I, I guess we have to bring this conversation to an end. But we, we typically like to ask our guests, do you have a favorite story? Um, could be a joke. Um, an an anecdote about a game called wrongs i mean you've 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 shared so many stories in this conversation you've got lots of quotable quotes from your blog but do you have a favorite story you know something that that you can sort of say and the moral of the story is but i mean anything your your favorite story john you know what I'll, I'll come up with one that's interesting. You had uh, you had told me that you might ask me this question. And I thought to myself, I don't want to think through these questions ahead of time because I want my answers to be spontaneous. I've, that was always my approach on radio. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I deserve to be uh, slapped on the back of the hand right now <laughs> no. that, I, that I didn't think through this one. I, I do. I have a story. I, I don't know if it's a favorite, but it's illustrative. I was hosting a, a sports talk radio show on ESPN Radio. I, I didn't do play-by-play for ESPN. I did play-by-play for other entities while I was at ESPN as a, as a talk show host. But I was interviewing uh, an old quarterback, and I asked him, uh, we were talking about influential people in his life, and I asked him, who was so-and-so? And he paused and I heard him go, that well, he, he, he sighed first, then he paused. Then he said, how do you know so-and-so? And he had a little bit of awe in his voice. Well, it was his third grade teacher who had inspired him and been a big influence on his life. But yet it wasn't common knowledge that this third grade teacher had been such a, a pivotal person in his development. And he said, John... I've been interviewed by people for 30 years. Nobody has ever asked me that question. Uh, And he was complimenting my preparation, which is exactly why I respect you, Simon and Susan, for your preparation. That was my gold standard. I always felt that I I wasn't more skilled than anybody else, but what are you willing to do that your competition's not? For me, preparation was a big differentiator so that story meant a lot to me because it reinforced that preparation in any endeavor can set you apart and make you better and it felt good in that moment that mine was appreciated that's terrific that is just so great well um we kind of feel like we've made a great team together here (laughs) championing story and narrative story and storytelling that's that's what simon and i um always talk about but thank you so much for joining us today i know our listeners um will enjoy this episode immensely thank you both i have great respect and appreciation for you having me on the show this is a lot of fun well you, you know I'm, I'm not particularly a, a massive sports fan, but I found John fascinating and I find the subject really interesting. I just think what's, what's really interesting is how broad this, sort of, this subject of story, storytelling, narrative, how, how broad it can be covered. And I'm, I'm fascinated to hear what he had to say. Um, let's, let's talk about what uh, our three takeaways might have been. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think... The first thing that really stuck to me was this idea about spontaneity, about the yes. need for spontaneity, um, the need to be responsive and to be 
reacting to what's right in front of you in the moment and you know that idea i think i talked about it, that that in improvisation you're you're speaking at the top of your intelligence you're gathering all the information you already know um and using that in an intelligent way by responding to what's in front of you right. and it's you know in in the business so if in workshops when i'm running with speakers um getting them to try and tell their story the story of their product or pitching something it's really important to to really think like that, not to read from a script, not to feel like it's a rote response, that you are responding to the needs of the person in the room. That's probably right. a potential client. Right. And that whole idea that, that, that it's this it's this amalgam of confidence, sort of maturity, mm. um, really being thoroughly steeped in, you know, all the aspects of what you're conveying. Um, inquisitiveness and you know John kept stressing preparation because yeah. it's through preparation that you know salespeople can can be responsive to whatever comes up in the room mm. and not basically just be reciting a script um, yeah I mean that's why you know they have to really understand the product or service inside out it can't just be I know the scripts I think it's you know I think it's what, what's most effective what we've seen these days is when the actual people who do the do the job say for example in our world if it's a designer that the designer is part of the sales process and that they actually are right. integrated into that it's so it's so important because they ultimately are the one with the intelligence but what else did means, you oh, go on. but that means that the whole organization oh yeah has to be steeped <laughs> in this even the people that we don't think of as being brand or product ambassadors. Um, so, so true. Yeah. It's fascinating. So, that, that just, just, just on that, I, I was with a client the other day talking about um, they wanted to, to help their teams with pitching and they were thinking of pitching as the salespeople or the, the people who deliver. But actually there's a whole raft of people that their clients meet before they get into the pitch. There's the telesales person, there's the relationship manager, there's the receptionist. All of them need to be able to either live, embody, or tell the story of right. the product, service, and organization. Right. And after the sale, you know, we, we mm. always hear about upselling, right? You can't upsell someone if you're not listening for the opportunities mm -hmm. where there's an unmet need. And typically, it's not the salespeople who have the opportunity to be doing the listening, but it's the yeah. customer success people. It's the, it's the people who are helping onboard a client or, or dealing with customer service issues. Those yeah. are the people who, who don't even necessarily see their role as telling the brand story. So, um, yeah, that, that, that certainly struck home with me. Um, you know, it was really interesting because, what another a takeaway from you which was just fascinating because john seemed to think that this was specific to sports casting but it was mm. moving up in sports casting means doing things your competition is unwilling to do <laughs> yeah and it just struck me that it's it seems so obvious but you know, within the construct of the limitations that your service offering may have, you still need to understand the way that a brand can be differentiated because of the exceptional willingness to go beyond what is expected or beyond what the competition is doing. That mm. just seemed, that's, that, I, I felt the need to uh, call that out. Yeah. And I guess the, the the final thing was that Vince Scully anecdote that, you know, told about the, you know, the listener saying, you make me feel like you're talking to me. Right. That whole thing of if you employ story as a utility in your organization and you tell a generic story, you're probably not speaking to anyone. You need to speak to an individual. That's what makes people feel. And, and, and funny enough, even if you're speaking to a specific kind of individual, other individuals will feel like you're talking to them because of that. They'll find their way in. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, he, he again, specificity. Mm -hmm. um, 
the word I can't say, specificity. Yeah, specificity. I mean, <laughs> you know, we're going to learn how to pronounce that word, I swear. <laughs> um, but specificity, he literally talked about using the language of the listener, mm. singular, yes. not yeah. plural listeners. And while a brand narrative often has to speak to a multiplicity of prospective customers, ultimately the decision either to advocate for a new service provider or to literally sign the check comes down to one person. So that Mm. importance of a brand narrative having to convey to a prospective customer your offering is going to be relevant and helpful to me Mm. that's that's really important um and we 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 hear that all the time yeah Um, wow i mean great to be back great to be back and and our first episode of season two and And we've got lots more for you oh don't we oh it's so exciting i can't wait yeah, and um, in the meantime, of course, you can reach out to Susan and I and the work, and to learn more about the work we do, Griffin Skeggs Collaborative or Iambic Creative. Um, we can help with your marketing, brand, story needs. Um, and you can follow along at storyconversations.blog if you want to read more about what's happening with Story Conversations and listen to past episodes, of course. Exactly, because... There's some past episodes that if you haven't heard them, you'll love them. Yeah. Glad you're back. Glad we're back. We'll see you Thanks, next time. Simon. Bye.